You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Genesis chapter 17, uh, we're in a series on Genesis, and today the title of the message, What It Looks Like to Walk with God. If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles, raise your hands and make your way to Genesis 17. Uh, What it looks like to walk with God. What does it look like to walk with God? I can't see God, can you? Uh, Not personally, I see him in his creation, I see a lot of things... But, I, but we all walk by faith. Therefore, what does it mean to walk with God in faith? What does that mean? Well, today we're going to see a man illustrate for us, Abram, illustrate for us what it means to walk with God and what it looks like. Uh, we're going through the Bible verse by verse, and here's where we left off last week. God had made a covenant with Abram. And... Uh, When Abram was 99 years old, it had been 25 years since God made that covenant with Abram. And when Abram was 99 years old, God reaffirmed that covenant with Abram. And he comes to Abram and he says, Abram, my covenant is with you. I haven't forgotten. I know you've been waiting 25 years. I know uh, that uh, you still don't have a son, but my covenant is with you. And by this time next year, you will have a son. And God, for the first time, puts a timeline on it. And he says, by this time next year, Sarai will have a son. Your wife will have a son. And Abram, when he hears it, he's just so filled with joy. He breaks out in laughter. Lord, you are so good. After all this time, and here I am, an old man, and my wife, an old woman, uh, she's cried big tears on her pillow for so long. And now, oh, the joy that she is going to have to have a son. Lord, you're so good. And he just breaks out in laughter and celebration and joy of the goodness of God. And there, uh, this encounter, as God reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant with them, he says, Abram, uh, I am going to give you a chance to participate in this covenant. This covenant is 100% unconditional. It doesn't matter what you do or what your people do, this covenant will stand no matter what. And we looked at that in previous weeks. God spelled that out in great detail. He says, but here, as he reaffirms this covenant 25 years later, he says, now I'm going to give you an opportunity to participate in this through circumcision. Uh, And in circumcision, it'll be a sign of the covenant. It's not the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. Just like this wedding ring is not my marriage. It's not my marriage vows. It's just a sign of the covenant that I made with my wife. Well, circumcision is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And what a great sign it is. The cutting off of the flesh so that I might live according to the Spirit. The cutting off of the fleshly appetites that I might live according to the Spirit of God, leading, guiding, directing me. Uh, We don't have circumcision as a covenant for the sign of the covenant for the church. We have baptism as a sign of the covenant for the church. And baptism is the same exact picture as circumcision is the death of the old man. Putting to death the things of the flesh, 
that we might resurrect according to the Spirit and live according to the Spirit. Uh, how many of you think circumcision is a better covenant than baptism? No, I'll choose baptism, please. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, uh, same picture, though. Same picture. And God tells him, Abram, this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham, as I mentioned, just overjoyed. Well, we left off right there. So open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. We got as far as verse 22, uh, God speaking to Abraham, one of the longest discourses of God speaking directly to an individual here in this chapter, God reaffirming the Abrahamic covenant to Abram at 99 years old. And uh, now verse 22, then he, that's God, finished talking with him, that's Abram, and God went up from Abram. Wow. God ascends. And uh, Abram's left there, right? And look at verse 23. So Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among them of Abram's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. Read these next words with me out loud, a thundering voice. Let me hear you read this. That very same day, as God had said to him. Let's read it one more time together. That very same day as God had said to him. Wow. And Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Painful, painful. One thing to do it to an eight-day-old, right? Uh, still painful. Uh, I had three. I have three boys and a girl. Uh, on the eighth day, I had all of my sons circumcised. I watched every single one of them, and I can tell you something: it was painful. But nothing like being 99 years old. I have a good friend who was circumcised late in life, and and painful. I mean, you're down for two weeks. You can't move, right? And here Abram does this at 99 years old. It would have left Abram and all his battalion very vulnerable. Uh, very, uh, very vulnerable. Um, verse 25. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. Sorry, this is popping. Uh, his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Hard to get a 13-year-old to do anything, man. Hard to get a 13-year-old to put your shoes away and hear Abram was, uh, Ishmael was 13 years old when he circumcised, was circumcised. Verse 26, that very same day, Abram was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, all the men of his house, all those who were born in his house, all those who were bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Uh, let's look at this a little bit. Here we see something. It's very obvious. It's crystal clear. God comes to Abram. He reaffirms this covenant. He says, Abram, now here's what you can do. You can participate in this. Here's the way you can participate. And here's what happens. Abram obeys God instantly. Instantly. That very same day, Abram obeys God. Every male in his entire house, that very same day, Abram did not delay. He didn't say, well, let me wait a while. I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to look for sharp knives. I'm kind of 
do a little shopping, and then I'm going to go on Google, and I'm going to research, what's the best way to do this? And then I'm going to have a meeting with my entire staff, and I'm going to say, guys, here's what we're going to do, and I want you to go home and tell your wives, and I'm going to give you a, a few weeks to think about it, and let me know if you want to do this or not. And no, Abram doesn't do any of those things. Abram obeys immediately. Immediately. All right now, right now, he made a decision. I'm following God. And can I tell you something, church? This is what it looks like to walk with God. Title of the message, what it looks like to walk with God. Well, this is what it looks like to walk with God. You obey right away when you hear something that the Lord tells you. When you read his commandments, you obey them. You walk in them. It was so great. We had people give their life to the Lord after first service. And this message they heard, they said, no longer, I'm standing. I love it. They hear and they obey, right? Uh, I want you to know something. This is what it means to call Jesus Lord. We don't use the word Lord very much. What does it mean, the word Lord? Let me hear from you. What does it mean? Master. Master. It means your boss. It means your authority. And here we see Abram demonstrates what it means to walk with God. It means that God is your Lord or Jesus is your Lord. And God says it. And Abram says, reporting for duty. Yes, sir. And even though he may not understand all of it, he says, I'm in. If that's what you tell me to do, I'm in. And this is what it means to make Jesus your Lord. This is what it means to walk with God. I want you to know something uh, worthy of uh, writing down. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Uh, when my kids were little, I'd say, hey, guys, clean your room. And I'd go upstairs. Kids are gone. Room's messy. I'd look out the front door, and they're building bike jumps. <laughs> I go, guys, what happened? I asked you to clean the room. Oh, I'm gonna, Dad. No, 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 no. Delayed obedience is disobedience i didn't ask you to do it later i asked you to clean your room right we get that and this is true in our walk with god here's what i know in a room this size some of you have not submitted your life to the lordship of jesus christ you've heard the gospel you understand that jesus loves you that jesus was god in the flesh who became a man that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and cleansed and that you're to come to him. You're to understand, man, I want to, I, God, your love for me is incredible. Lord, I want to give you my life. And some of you are saying, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet, not right now. Uh, I'm still thinking about it. I probably will, you know, it makes sense. I get it. I probably will. I'll do it later. I like attending, you know, it's pretty cool here. Some nice people here. There's really some great people. But I'm not ready to make Jesus my Lord. Hey, I want you to know something. You are in prideful disobedience to God. You are rebelling against him. You say, wow, that's kind of strong. I've only been here 10 minutes and you're already on me. <laughs> there are others who says, I believe in Jesus. And you know what? I believe he's the Messiah. And I'm going to commit my life to God. I'm going to. But I'm going to do it later. I want to live for myself first. 
I want to sin. This is a really common position in young people. We say, I want to sin, man. I want to party. I want to get high. I like getting high. And I want to sleep around. I want to be sexually immoral. I want to look at pornography. I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to get a career. I want to make a lot of money. I want to live for myself. I know this stuff is right. And, and I'll get to it. I'm going to do it. I'm, but I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. I want you to know delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. And here's what you're thinking. You're saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to do it later. And preferably, ideally, if I can pull it off, I'm not going to come this close to the wire. But the ideal situation would be on my deathbed (laughs) to then say, okay, I've known all along. And Jesus, please forgive me. I know you're a good God. You'll forgive me of all my sins. Please forgive me. And I'm on my deathbed would be the ideal situation. That way I can party and live for sin and all these things. And then on my deathbed, go to heaven. Can I tell you something? You are a fool. You are an idiot. Why? Why? You're mocking God. Do you think that you can outsmart God? You're trying to outsmart God. Can I tell you something? Good luck with that. It is not possible. Here's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. You did not choose me, I chose you. And right now, God in his sovereign grace upon your life is calling you to him. The reason you're in church today is because God is calling you. The reason you're watching online right now is because God is calling you. And there you are in Florida and you're online and you say, well, I'm just changing it. No, no, no. God is calling you. This is a sovereign divine appointment and God is calling you. And if you are putting God off, you are mocking God. You are thinking you are smarter than God. And let me tell you something, you are not. And if you think you can come to God on your deathbed after you have mocked him your whole life, you have another thing coming. Because God has made it very clear, Genesis 6, my spirit will not always strive with man. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you to, to, go, to Jesus, there is no way, no way ever that you will say on your deathbed, I want to give my life to the Lord. Your heart will become hardened. And unless the Spirit of God draws you, you do not have a chance And so be careful, man. You are playing expensive games. You are trying to outsmart God, and it is not possible. Furthermore, it is three things that God hates. It is prideful arrogance. It is insincerity of heart. It is a duplicitous heart. And it is downright rebellion against God. Be careful, man. That's a dangerous place to be. The Bible is crystal clear. Uh, Today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? Today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? It means that if God's spirit is calling you now, do not put it off for you have no guarantee that'll be there tomorrow. And unless God draws you to himself, you cannot come to him. No man comes to me unless the father draws him. 
Uh, there is a psalm that articulates this well, Psalm 4. I'd like you to read this. It's on your screens. Let me, let me hear the church in a unified voice. Read this. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. What does Selah mean? Selah means meditate on this. Take a break and really give a lot of thought to this, right? Give a lot of thought to what? How long will you turn my glory to shame? You were created to be in a relationship with God, to understand his love for you, and to recognize that he is the almighty creator who wants to lead, guide, and direct your life. And when you walk in that, you glorify him. And you're turning that glory, the, the highest calling of your existence is to be in fellowship with your creator. There is no greater worth. And he says, you're turning my glory to shame. And your loving worthlessness, well, I want to party. I want to sleep around. I want to get rich. You're loving worthlessness and you're seeking lies. Wow. Wow. Let's go on. Let's read what the rest it says. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when they call to him. Wow. The Lord is working in your life for this purpose, to set you apart for himself, to make you his, so that when you call upon him, you can walk with him and he will hear you and you will be in relationship with your creator. That's what you're created for. Oh, how incredible. How incredible. And yet we are prone to stiff-arm God. Uh, I'm writing the men's ministry homework right now, and, and uh, we're looking at Moses, you know, and, and he goes before this Pharaoh, and God, by a mighty display, shows all of Egypt and all of Israel that there is one true living God by mighty power. Ten plagues that were just phenomenal, right? Just, I mean, uh, to show Pharaoh that he is God. And each time after these plagues, there's a phrase that the Bible says about Pharaoh. It says that Pharaoh did what? Hardened his heart. Hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Uh, God was showing him. God was speaking to him, but he continued to harden his heart. And there's a great verse in Exodus 10. Look what God says to him. Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me. And I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, do not leave here today without doing it. How long will you humble yourself? Uh, will you go before you humble yourself before him? No, I'm going to do it my way, man. And at the end of my life, I'm just, I got this thing figured out. Oh, you're a fool. You're a fool. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And God is asking Pharaoh, do I have to completely crush you? And for some people, that answer is yes. Because they love themselves that much. Delayed obedience to God is disobedience. If you need to get right with God, do it now. Don't delay. Today is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. You have a God who loves you and has done everything in the universe to prove it. And that God became a man and he went to a cross and he gave his life on the cross that whosoever ever would believe that God loves you that much 
could call upon him and say, Lord, I want to know you if you love me that much and have their sins completely washed away and perfect righteousness be given to you as a free gift and a relationship with God begins. We walk with God. Uh, amazing. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to give your life to the Lord. I want you to think about it for the rest of the service. I loved the stories after first service of the broken lives that came forward and said, I've been doing those things and I want to make Jesus my Lord. May that be you this morning as well. Um, now, I want to move on. I want to look at some things that we see in Abraham's life right here. I want you to notice something in particular. God tells Abraham to get circumcised, and his entire house, his entire company gets circumcised. Uh, Abram was a powerful man, right? He had a big company. He had a CFO. He had a CEO. He had powerful men in his company, and all of them get circumcised that very same day. How do you explain that? Even his teenager gets circumcised that very same day. How do you explain that? Well, I want you to see something. Abraham was a man of powerful influence. Obviously, right? He didn't even give the guys time. Like, hey, go talk to your wives about this. No, no, no. They just, they came home. Baby, tough day at the office, man. <laughs> tough day. <laughs> How does this happen? How, how does he, on a moment's notice, get Abram's entire company to follow him into circumcision? Well, here's how. He has powerful influence in their lives. How did that happen? Well, here's how it happened. Abram has been a, a follower of God. Abram has been walking with God now for 25 years. And God has poured into him a ton of wisdom. And Abram is a servant leader. And everything he does, he does for the betterment of those that are around him. Men, as you join men's ministry, we have a men's ministry manifesto. We know what we are all about. And here's why men's ministry exists. Three parts to the men's ministry manifesto. Number one, that we might be men who live to embrace the call of God upon our life. That was Abram. Abram knew, hey, my life is not about business anymore. I'm a wealthy man, but I'm, I'm not about money anymore. I'm not about business anymore. I'm not about materialism anymore. I'm embracing the call of God upon my life. Number two in the men's ministry manifesto, we live to be men who are builders of other men. Why does Abram have so much influence? Why does Abram have so much power in these people's lives? Here's why. For 25 years, he's been building these men. And when he says something to them, their life is better because of it. And when he gives them counsel and they walk in it, their life is better because of it. So when he comes to them now and he says, guys, I want you to know my God has instructed me in this. His walk with God is so good. His walk with God is so clearly wise and evident that they say, Abram, I'm in on a moment's notice. I will cancel my plans. I will cancel my meetings. And I will do this thing your God says because I know your God is the true and living God. I've seen it in your life. Abram has power and influence in his whole entire company. And that's amazing. And Christian, I want you to know something. Something radical happens when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. 
Something radical happens when you make God the absolute authority of your life. God pours into you wisdom and influence. Influence, by the way, is the sister of wisdom. If you are wise, you will always be what? Influential. It is just the sister of wisdom. And Abram has made God the authority of his life, the Lord of his life, so much so that when God says, Abram, I want you to get circumcised. Circumcision, what's that? Well, here's what it is. Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm in right now. Not a week later, not right now. That's making God the authority in your life. That's what it means to walk with God. And when you walk with God, when you make God the absolute authority in your life, God will give you wisdom. And when God gives you wisdom, you will have influence. And let me tell you something. I love having an influence in my children's lives. I love having influence not only in my children's lives, been in my extended family's lives, in my friends' lives, in other godly men and women's lives. And uh, this is just what God does. It's what he will do in your life. This is his way. I want you to know, people will follow you if you are wise. Do you know why? Because wisdom is a rare commodity today. Don't believe me? How many of you would love to see someone wise in government? (laughs) I am not picking on a Republican Party or a Democratic Party. I am talking across the board. There is a void of wisdom. It's lacking. And if you have wisdom, people will follow you. Many are educated today. Few are wise. Many are intelligent, few are wise, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference, man. You can have all the education in the world. You could be a Harvard grad, and you can still be a fool. And we need wisdom. Wisdom will transform your life. Uh, Education may give you opportunity, but wisdom will give you success. Intelligence may help you make money. Wisdom will give you life. Big difference. Big difference. Here's the question. Where does wisdom come from? How can a person find it? Where did Abraham get his wisdom? So much wisdom that he had so much influence that on something comes along like what we're seeing today, we're seeing an incredible response on the very same day. How did he have that much influence? Well, he had that much wisdom. Well, where did he get that wisdom? Well, where did he get that wisdom? The Bible is really clear. Makes no, no, no bones about it, right? The Bible is very clear. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? If you know it. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where it all starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Knowledge of God brings understanding. It all begins with the fear of the Lord. Here's the question. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, if you've been in the church very long, you've been told a lot of things. It means that you just love God. It means that you just have. Here's what it means. It means you fear him. 
Do you know what keeps me on the straight and narrow as a pastor? I fear building a church that Jesus doesn't like. And I tremble every time I stand in this pulpit. Every single time. Because I know how God feels about being misrepresented. And I fear that. Now, I'm not afraid of God. Oh, no, God is my father, right? Uh, I run into his arms. But I have a healthy fear for not doing things as he wants. Uh, And that is the beginning of wisdom. Why did Abraham get circumcised that day? Because he feared God. God, you told me to do this. I know it is right. I've already learned. When I don't walk in your ways, big problems. Lord, I want to walk in them right now. And delayed obedience is disobedience. If I think about this too long, I'm going to bail. I'm going to do it right now. And Abram does. And wisdom pours into his life. Abram has been walking in a relationship with God for 25 years. Abram fears God. And now, as a result, he has wisdom. And because he has wisdom, he has the respect of others. And he has powerful influence in their life. Uh, uh, they, they look at Abram and they just say, man, I mean, I admire that guy. And when they have, when they have problems, guess who they want to talk to? They want to go talk to Abram because he's wise. And may I share something with you? Abram never pursued wisdom. Abram never pursued influence. Abram pursued what? God and wisdom and influence are just the fruit of pursuing God. Jesus said the exact same thing. Seek you first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. And Abram has the fruit of walking with God, tons of wisdom, tons of influence. Uh, Very interesting to see how this relationship with God uh, uh, produces these things in his life. This is what it looks like to walk with God. And may we be a church that we are known for our wisdom. And we have wisdom. Why? Because we, we, we what? We fear God. We walk in his ways. Now, uh, I spent some time on that because there were some important things there. I'm going to take a big chunk of scripture now. We're going to go faster in this next section. And as we read, we're going to look at a fascinating story. And it reveals a lot about God's heart. So pay attention. You're going to see God's heart in this. You know what else you're going to see? You're going to see not only God's heart, but you're going to see how God leads those who walk with him. And he leads in such amazing ways. You're going to love this. And not only that, you're going to see how God treats those who walk with him. And he treats them with so much honor and respect. It's unbelievable. Amazing chapter. Uh, Be such a good movie. Look at this. Chapter 18. Are you there? Uh, If you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. Then the Lord, in in your Bible, is the word Lord all capitalized? For those of you who are good students of the Bible, tell me what that means. That's Yahweh. That's the covenant name between God and his people. That's the tetragrammaton, the unpronounceable name of God, Yehovah, right? There it is. Then the Lord appeared to him. That's Abraham. God appears to Abraham by the timberance trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door 
in the heat of the day. We know something about the heat of the day this week, don't we? Yeah. There he is. It's afternoon. He's trying to stay cool. And, the, and God appears to him. Wow. Now, here's the interesting thing. How does God appear to him? Because the Bible clearly says, no man can see God and live. Exodus 33, Moses, an intimate relationship with God. And in Exodus 33, God is speaking to Moses, but God is a spirit. He's incorporeal, which means he doesn't have a body. Uh, He's a spirit. And God is speaking to Moses. And Moses says, Lord, can I see you? And God says, Moses, no one can see me and live. Because men are sinful and God is holy and righteous. And if you saw my glory, it would consume you. You need to have a glorified body before you can see me. You need to get rid of that body of sin before you see me. No one can see God and live. Jesus said the same thing, John chapter 1, right? Uh, on your screens, actually. Uh, let me hear you read this. No, this is Jesus speaking. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. Wow, powerful verse to ponder. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here talking to you, but I am also right now in the bosom of the Father. In other words, Jesus is omnipresent. Jesus is omniscient. He didn't empty himself of his deity when he became a man. Uh, uh, But here he says, no one has seen God at any time. So here's the question. Uh, Exodus 19, how is it here that, um, excuse me, Exodus 18, Genesis 18, uh, the Lord Yahweh appears to him. How is that even possible? Well, here's how. It's called a theophany, uh, the, the theological term, or a Christophany. It's appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, and here he is appearing to, to Abram. Now, it's not Jesus' incarnation. He didn't, he didn't become a man yet. But here he takes on a human body momentarily to appear to Abraham. And we're going to unpack this. Look at it. Verse 2. So he, that's Abraham, lifted up his eyes and indeed, uh, excuse me, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there were three men who were standing by him. Uh, We don't know if Abraham knows who these are or not yet. He's off in his tent down by the tree. There's these three guys. One of them is the Lord. And he went and he saw them. And he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. Wow. Uh, Here we see Abram understands there's something interesting going on here. Man, who? Look what he says, verse 3. And he said, my Lord, and by the word Lord, he doesn't say Yahweh, so we don't know if he knows or not. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please, let a little water be brought. Uh, let, let, Let me wash your feet. Uh, Once you rest yourselves under the tree and I'll bring a morsel of bread. I'm going to make you a nice dinner. And after you've refreshed your hearts, you know, you can sit back and relax. I'll bring you a nice meal. And after you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. Or in other words, yes, we'd love to stay for dinner, right? Isn't this crazy? This is God in a relationship with his servant. Just amazing. I'd love to stay for dinner. Verse six. So Abram hurried into the, into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. Hey, Sarah, we've got company. And Sarah says, what? Why didn't you tell me? 
I didn't know. They just showed up. Sarah gets on it, right? Verse 7. And Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a tender and good calf, takes the best, and he gives it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. He says, hey, slaughter this thing and make some really nice steaks. And man, I want to bless, bless these guys here. Verse 8. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared. In other words, he spares no expense. He puts together a really fine meal and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Verse 9, and they said, that's all three of them, they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And so he, Abram says, here, she's in the tent. Uh, that was kind of the custom of the day, right? Uh, the men would eat in, in, in here and then the women would go off together. And, and actually, it's still kind of that custom today. I notice when we have uh, people over, uh, still the same thing kind of happens. The guy ends end up sitting up over here around talking and the gals go off over here talking. And so that's what's happening. They say, hey, where's Sarah? And Abram says, hey, she's in the tent. You know, she's here. Um, verse 10. Notice what these next words are. Read these next three words. And he said. Before they said, and now he said. Who's he? That's God. That's Yahweh. Now God is speaking. Now he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Sarah's got her ear to the wall, kind of listening in, like, what's that? And he noticed what God says. God says, I will, I will personally, me. And notice what he says, will we'll restore to you according to the time of life. According to the time of life, what is that? Well, here's what it is. Abram was impotent. Sarah was menopausal. And he's saying, I'm going to restore to you your ability to have kids. That's what he means by the time of life. Do you understand? Uh, that's as PG as we're going to get today. Uh, uh, I'm going to restore this to you. Uh, and Sarah is going to have a son. And Sarah's listening on the other side there. Now when Abram and Sarah, now, excuse me, verse 11. Now Abram and Sarah were old, well advanced and aged. In other words, uh, things didn't work so well anymore. That ship had sailed. Sarah was menopausal, right? Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed. Uh, read these next words. Sarah laughed where? Within herself. within herself. Did she laugh out loud? Sarah laughed within herself. Where is she laughing? She's on the other side of the tent, right? Nobody knows she's there listening. Sarah laughs within herself. And look what she says. After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, that's her husband, Abram, being old also. Uh, I want you to notice how blunt Sarah speaks here. And again, I'm going to keep it PG-13, but she says, shall I have pleasure? What kind of pleasure is she talking about? Sexual intercourse. Like, am I going to have pleasure? Uh, uh, I'm too old, and uh, my husband hasn't been able to for a long time. I mean, like, she's speaking really blunt. Here's the question. Why is she speaking so blunt? That's not very polished. Why is she speaking so blunt? She's only speaking in her heart. And what does God hear when we speak? Ah. We may put a nice polish on the outside. Oh, yes, my Lord. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, thank you. Really? What does he hear? 
And she says, yeah, right. That ship has sailed, baby. We haven't had a good night in a long time. Right? Uh, that's what she says. And notice what happens. This is so amazing. Verse 13. And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? He's like, what are you talking about? Uh, there was no audible laugh. Where was that laugh? In her heart. Furthermore, Sarah's not even in the room. He's like, Sarah, what are you talking about? Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, surely, excuse me, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child in my old age? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Who is God asking this question to? To Abram. And men, eyes up here for a moment, spiritual leader of your home. Here's what God is saying. Abram, why is your wife living in unbelief on this promise that I have made to you? Why is this not rock solid in her heart? Why haven't you let her in this truth, Abram? Wow. God did not say to Sarah, why are you laughing? Who did God say to? Abram. Where's your spiritual leadership, Abram? Wow. Look what he says. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Answer? No. no. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Abram laughed in, in joy and appreciation of what God was doing. Sarah was like, yeah, right. Big difference. Big difference. And here we learn something about chapter 18. We learn that chapter 18 then is very close to chapter 17 where God uh, reconfirms this covenant because God said in chapter 17 it'll be in one year that Sarah will have this time. Next year, Sarah will have a son. It takes nine months. And so Sarah's not even pregnant yet, which means it's less than three months from chapter 17. Chapter 18 is very close together. And Abraham didn't confirm and affirm those promises in Sarah and she's in unbelief. And so... Uh, why did Sarah laugh? Look at this is really funny. Uh, verse 15. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh. Now, get, get the picture, right? Sarah's not even in the room. Her ear is to the door. And God says, why did Sarah laugh? And Abram goes, what are you talking about? Sarah's not even here. And all of a sudden you hear this voice. I didn't laugh. <laughs> amazing, right? Just amazing. And look what God says. No, you did laugh. Uh, you didn't believe my promise. You were in unbelief, right? Uh, why did Sarah say, I didn't laugh? Well, it tells us right here, uh, she was afraid. And, uh, she was afraid. Um, Sarah, not fully embracing this promise of God yet. And Sarah, God hears the words of her heart. And God does the same for you. And she speaks after she's busted. She speaks in fear, which shows us some things. She hasn't progressed in her walk with God as far to have discipline in that area yet. Uh, it's one of the hardest things to ever grow in, by the way. James says it's the very hardest thing to control your tongue, right? To control your tongue. She should have said, Lord, you're right. And I stumbled in unbelief. I'm so sorry. But instead she says, I didn't laugh because what was she trying to do? Justify herself. You have one justifier. His name is Jesus. Don't lie to yourself about your sin. Be honest with yourself about your sin. 
Don't make excuses for your sin. Be honest to God about your sin. He already knows and just bring it to him. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Uh, verse 16, uh, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. These are the angels. And Abram went with them to send them on their way. They came to go to Sodom. And the Lord, underline the Lord, Yahweh said to them, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become great and a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. What's that? God's asking the angels what he should do. Shall I tell Abraham what we came here for? We're going to read, they came here to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going, should I tell Abraham what, what I'm coming here for? Look at verse 19. For I have known him. This is God speaking. I have known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Hey, I know Abraham's going to walk in my ways. And I know Abram's going to teach his children to fear the Lord and to make him the Lord of their life and to uh, teach them all the commandments and the precepts of the Lord so that they can walk with God. How does God say, I know that? Because I just saw him do it with his whole company. I just saw him do it. He's been doing it. He's walking with me. Uh, God says, listen, I know him and he's going to teach his family well. And God lists three things of this that he knows about Abraham that he will, number one, keep the way of the Lord. He's going to uh, be an accurate representation of me and show others what it means to have a, uh, my commandments and to walk in my ways. He's going to keep the way of the Lord. Number two, he's going to do righteousness and justice. He's going to walk in my ways. He's going to do the right things. And number three, uh, that the Lord Yahweh may bring to Abraham that which he has spoken of. I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Kings are going to come out of him and the Messiah is going to come through him. I know all these things are going to happen. Uh, verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. He's telling this to Abraham. And because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Very interesting. I'm going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and I'm going to see if it's that wicked. And I'm going to see if it's that bad. And then I will know. Well, that sounds weird. It almost sounds as if God has to visit Sodom and Gomorrah in order to actually know what's really going on there. Is that right? No. Is God not omniscient? Yes. What does omniscient mean? He already knows is God not omnipresent? Yeah, he knows what's going on in the closets of Sodom and Gomorrah right then as he's talking to Abraham because he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. Nothing can be hidden from him. Why in the world then does God say, I'm going to go down there and take a look and see what's happening so I can know? Why in the world does God say in verse 17, why does God ask angels, should I tell Abraham what I'm doing? Why? Why? What's going on here? I want you to know something. God does all this for Abram's sake. For Abram's sake. God wants to include Abram in his plans. 
God loves Abram and has made a covenant with Abram to bring the nation of Israel from Abram, to bring the Messiah from Abram. He knows that Abram is going to be a witness to the whole world about the true and living God. And here's why God does all these things. Because God wants Abram to know God's heart. Are you understanding? Let me unpack it even further. If God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah without including Abram in the plans, Abram could have easily come to the wrong conclusions about God. Abram's just going along one day, and all of a sudden he sees Sodom and Gomorrah go up and toast, and he's like, wow, God is harsh. God is angry. God is capricious. God is whimsical. We better watch out, man. God's impulsive. You better not do the right, the wrong thing. You might get toasted. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not my nature at all. And I don't want Abram not understanding who I really am. And so I'm going to reveal to Abraham beforehand what I am doing so that he might know I'm not capricious. I'm not whimsical. I don't love bringing judgment on people. I take no delight in the death of the wicked. I am a righteous God when I judge. I judge in righteousness and in truth. And next week, we are going to see God tells Abraham all these things in advance so that God, Abraham can know God's heart and know God's person and know the quality of who he is because Abraham's going to intercede. He's going to talk with God. He's going to say, when he hears about this, he's going to say, oh my gosh, God, well, I know you are righteous and you would never judge the wicked, excuse me, the righteous with the wicked. So if I could find 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you withhold your judgment? And God says, yes, I would withhold my judgment. Then Abraham thinks about it and he goes, I don't know if there's 50 there, man. That place is pretty messed up. I've been to Vegas, man. I don't know if there's 50 people there. He says, God, uh, I hate to be brash. Please forgive me. How about 45? God says, yes, for 45 righteous, I won't bring judgment. And Abraham continues this intercessory conversation and he goes all the way down to how far? Just 10 people. And Abraham thinks, surely I can find 10 people who are righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, Abraham, for 10 people, 10 righteous people, I will withhold my judgment. God will never bring his judgment on his own people, ever. That's why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Because the rapture, excuse me, the tribulation is God's wrath poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. But God will never bring his wrath on his own people. And God says, Abram, even for 10 people, I will not bring my judgment. And what happens? In this exchange, God telling him, should I tell Abraham what's going on? God already knows. He doesn't need to go down there and see. This is God's manner with men who walk with him. He invites them into his kingdom work so that we can know his heart, so that we can understand his ways. We can see how incredibly gracious and merciful he is, but how righteous he is also and how holy and just. And Abram runs down to Sodom and Gomorrah trying to find, is there even 10? And he can't even find 10, man. He can't even find 10. 
But when God brings judgment, he knows it was right. It was just. And he knows the heart of his God. Um, God wants you to know his heart. God wants you to understand who he is. And next week we will see uh, what it means to walk with God, part two. We will watch this and we will see that uh, Abraham intercedes for those who are lost and cares for those who are lost. Uh, do you? And Abraham is, has God revealing more and more and more of himself. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm going to wrap us up in, in, in prayer here. Uh, God wants you to know his heart. And God wants to do a mighty work in your life. He is calling you to himself. And if you are here today and you have not embraced the call of God upon your life, you have not submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I just want to remind you, delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. And you say, well, maybe I'll do it later. Hey, today is the day of salvation. Do not put off a holy, righteous God who is calling you. His spirit will not always strive with man. Today is the day of salvation. Furthermore, if you walk with him, he will begin to perform pour profound wisdom into your life. You think that the life you're leading is, satis leading is satisfying? You're not satisfied. It hasn't, it hasn't filled you. It's only brought you emptiness and despair, and I know that full well. For the wages of sin is death, and sin is a cruel master. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.